welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. Sure your name's not uh, Oscar the Grouch, mate, or Grover? Because that's what you sound like. A little bit raspy. <laughs> yeah. A little gravelly. Yeah, it's your turn this time. Uh, and I think what happened, I was... You're not sick. No, not... You feel no, great. I feel fine. <laughs> it's just uh, I was singing some Christmas songs with the kids, mm -hmm. and they kept wanting me to go up an octave. Oh, oh, you're saying higher in pitch? I thought you just meant louder, but it was both. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So by the end, you're screeching. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought you were just getting louder in each time. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Oh, and by the end, it just sounds yeah, horrific. Just yeah, like a banshee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I destroyed myself. I made my baby cry in, in terror on accident. You were unrecognizable as a loving father. Right. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so bear with me. That's all right. I may have you need you to... I'll see what I can doctor you up in post. Carry us a little I'll bit. give you guys an A and B. So you okay. can hear what he sounds like before and after right. <laughs> the surgery. Um, any housekeeping? We have a well-kept house. We have no... Around yeah, here. It, look, it doesn't need that much maintenance. No. It stays pretty kept. Well, I was tinkering with an idea of doing uh, more, maybe a long-term series mm. of episodes. Not that it would be in order, but we could like revisit it called... Um, what is God like mm -hmm. or what's God like? I feel like this is really going downhill. It seems like <laughs> the more you talk, the less capable you become of talking. Yeah. It's like you're running out of steam as okay, we go. We'll, we'll keep trying. We'll keep trying. <clears throat> and so the first week of the series would be something I've been thinking about, the topic of Calvinism. Yeah. It's a, well, I think... the doctrine I, by I, many. We were just saying, you know, um, I think what would be cool about that series as well is it might allow us to like dip our toes into some comparative religion stuff that we haven't done a whole heap of. Maybe we have like mentioned here and there, but it, I think it would be interesting for us to do a sort of a little more of a systematic exploration of what kinds of ideas have people had about mm -hmm. what God's like. I mean, in a sense, that's what... And maybe other doing, big questions in religion, I guess. Yeah. The, what's the human condition? <clears throat> what's the problem they're trying to solve? What do they claim to solve? Yeah. What's the salvation story? Yeah, yeah. How different are they really? What are the similarities? Yeah. Um, but at least for today, the discussion we're having is within the realm of Christendom, there are also various ideas about what God's like mm -hmm. and how salvation works and all of that. Now, maybe like a year and a half ago, we did, what was that? Drive through theology was the idea. Yeah. You know, back when we were like we were trying to figure out what is this podcast? What's it going to be? And we toyed with the idea of like recording ourselves going to the drive-thru and having theological discussions yeah. while we do it. Like with a little uh, dashboard. A little dash mount. cam. Yeah. And yeah, so we shot a little video of okay. debunking Calvinism. I still have it. Do you have it? <laughs> yeah, I have it. It's pretty cringy, but I do have it. Okay. We'd, boy, we were green in the game. Mm. It's like, it's not very professional. <laughs> but if anyone had seen that somehow, mm -hmm. I think it'd be a lot of the same content. Content is what we'll talk about today. So to prepare for this episode, I was just consulting these two books. They're companion volumes for Calvinism by Michael Horton. He's a professor and against Calvinism, Roger Olson, also a professor of theology. And I actually got to see them kind of debate in person at Biola where I did seminary training. Yeah. And uh, they were selling the books afterwards. I only had $10 at the time. Each of them were 10. So you just had, had to get one. Pick. <laughs> so had to and pick. I, I knew I was already against Calvinism. So I wanted to read. Oh, good for you. View. Well, good for you. So this is the one I bought. And 
Uh, I had him sign it. The I had the Roger Olson guy sign it, even though he didn't write this one. Oh, I see. Because I, <laughs> I wanted to talk yeah, yeah. with him. And it was it was neat to see. Like this can often be a really contentious debate and topic. Yeah, and people thinking that you're at worst, I guess, preaching a false gospel outside the fold. Yeah, yeah. And so, what was refreshing about the talk that they gave? They were very cordial and they were laughing with each other. And Roger made this point um, that I wrote down in the cover because I thought it was interesting. He said, if it was John Piper up there, mm -hmm. he wouldn't have been laughing. Is so that, if, if John Piper was instead, mm -hmm. instead of Michael Horton, the representative yeah. of Calvinism, this is not a laughing matter. Right. I was going to say, there is, a there is a sense, or at least I found for myself, a sort of a seriousness and somberness and heaviness that I find comes along with Calvinism. I... Now, forgive me, those of you Calvinists who are out there and would classify yourselves as very joyful and loving people, I haven't met you. And I certainly was not you when I was deep in Calvinism. I was like very sort of, very concerned with being right, very concerned with right doctrine, not a whole lot of grace. Um, so, and it, and, and that the gospel, yeah, is no laughing matter. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's mm -hmm. as serious a matter as you can get. Um, and should be talked about with a straight face, all of that. So, yeah, I get what right. he's saying. So, I guess, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting too, just as another little bit of preamble. On the other side, I say on the other side and or in the thick of deconstruction. Mm. It's an interesting topic to return to mm. because when I've, I mean, 10 years ago, this was uh, to Clint, 2011. Yep. So, 10 years ago, almost to the day, October. And... When I was assessing these, I was very much in the game of, well, who has the most amount of right interpretations of these little verses mm -hmm. in scripture? Mm -hmm. And that was the name of the game is pulling out your different verses. And, oh, yeah. And that whole part of because, it. Because, and this is what messed me up for so long, flip-flopping between Calvinism and Arminianism, is both, both views seem uh, hinted at or pointed at in scripture. You can find scriptural support for notions that are found in that both of these views. That on a face reading would, yeah. would seem to fall into the one camp. So it, that's how, yeah, you're right, that that's how those discussions end up going is, what about this verse? Yeah, but what about this verse? <laughs> you know. That's why, like I said, the outset, what prompted me to want to do a, a, like a long-term series of what's God like yeah. is approaching, I guess, from a more philosophical, more general view rather than like, I need to be confined to thinking about what God is like by marshalling this array of just one liner scripture verses. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so past that now. Yeah, right. To, to bring a verse to bear in the discussion, I need a whole, I need to read the whole book yep. almost first and <laughs> yeah. the, at least the chapter Yeah, and how it fits into the whole discussion before I just whip that out and say that, the God of the universe is like this just because of one little sentence. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, with that being said, though, um, it's one of those views as well in theology. How should I put this? I guess um, a lot of people still think it or like a, it's a, still a relatively divided. It's not dead. No, it's no. Denominations who are staunchly <clears throat> in that camp. Yeah, right. totally. Which, um, I am thinking of our listener who doesn't know about what Calvinism yeah, is. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. I mean, that'll be the bulk of what we talk about. All right, about. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
bear with us. Right. We'll get there. You'll find out. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's a view about soteriology, the story of salvation. Mm-hmm. How is that happening uh, from both the human and God's perspective? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. In What's, short. Yeah. What's involved on both sides. And the, the reason that they're using the word Calvinism, and this is kind of hotly contested, and I don't want to go deep into it, but basically there is this theologian, John Calvin, uh, a figure in the Reformation departing from the Catholic Church. They're trying to reform some of the ideas and mm-hmm. recast what they think is correct theology. And he wrote this book called The Institutes of Christian Religion. And I think he was in his early 20s when he wrote it. And it's this like magnificent, marvelous piece of theological writing. Um, and he's kind of, his namesake has been carried on into this collection of views. Sometimes you'll hear the term reformed theology. Yeah. Those aren't necessarily synonymous. Some people I've encountered use the term Calvinism only to refer to the final little doctrine that we'll get to, oh. which is called perseverance of the saints, yeah. meaning you cannot lose your salvation once you have it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Sometimes people just mean that by Calvinist, and they'll ask you, are you a Calvinist? Yeah. And they're looking for an answer to that. So the term is used in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm not even here. And it's it's kind of contested whether Calvin actually taught the five different doctrines that we'll get to. Yeah, or that, if those sort of were added on later or mm-hmm. picked up, yeah, right. extrapolated. So um, I guess I'm, those are interesting, but just not for right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To get into all that. Yep. So I think the for those, yeah, wondering... What, what are you guys talking about? Okay, what, what is, is it? What is it? Uh, the easiest way to describe it has come to be known as tulip. That's why they got them on the cover, right? That's why there's a, a flourishing tulip on the Calvinist one and a wilted a one. wilted, spiritually dead tulip on the, <laughs> on the against, against one. <laughs> yep. Uh, I should say, too, um, you were, I think you already even used the term Arminian. Mm. And that's typically cast as the opposing view to Calvinism. And so I think it is in 1618, the year, and in 1619, there is this uh, Synod of Dort, a gathering of uh, what would come to be known as Calvinists Hmm. who were responding to uh, the remonstrants. These were people that were, had, I think there's some document that they put together, uh, and I don't know if we have any extant manuscripts of it. Hmm. I'm unclear about that. but. Uh, the leader of it was Jacob Arminius. And so the view that was opposing what would come to be known as Calvinism uh, came to be known as Arminianism. Mm-hmm. So just if we've let that slip in the discussion, those are kind of the the names for the two different views, mm-hmm. packages of views that we'll talk about. Yep. Calvinism, Arminianism. Arminianism. Both trying to describe the mechanics of salvation. That's right. What does it mean to be saved? How does it happen? Who does it? What's involved from both God and man? That's right. Yeah. So a big topic. Yeah, important. Yeah, yeah I see why. I do see why mm-hmm. Calvinists don't want to be joking about it. It is serious, but... And and again, back to like the deconstruction part too. Um, you might even notice if you if you are going through that or maybe on the other side of it, there's language that we'll be using throughout this that may just seem a little bit old fuddy-duddy to you at this point. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't really serve your purposes anymore and you're theologizing mm. um, 
even words like salvation itself yeah um take on a whole new texture to it once you've gone through this process yeah uh, and i want to try to not get in the weeds of like unpacking every little term okay but just if you can recall what it was like to be i guess uh, the more conservative and theologically and i would argue both of these views yeah are in that camp mm -hmm. so you're just saying as far as defining what we mean by salvation even I guess so. I mean, maybe that, because we can... that has changed for me over the years, for sure. Right. Just in the fact that like an eternal conscious torment now is not, that's, I'm so sorry. It's just not something I think is an mm -hmm. actual possibility. So, um, but it was for a long time. So salvation was all about avoiding that place. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's a big part of this discussion. Yes, it's it like is. A key is. issue. Yeah. So at least for the sake of this discussion, we can operate with the mindset of like salvation... So about I'm, eternal destination, right? Is mm -hmm. that so? I'm trying to just strip away like the vestiges the, of upbringing or these other commitments I had, and just try to freshly assess. Here, here's some ideas out there in the world of here's some people that were trying to describe what God is like, mm -hmm. and they're basing it on scripture, and those were also people trying to describe what God is like. Yep. And let's just make see what we think about it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yep. Okay, so the acronym Tulip stands for it's kind of the first letter of these series of doctrines. So we'll kind of go through them. The first one is T for total depravity. Yeah. Total depravity. The doctrine is that all men and women, people, humans, are totally depraved from birth. And depraved is... <clears throat> um, to have a proclivity towards evil maybe mm -hmm. would that be a fair description of what it means and to be clear it's not it's not the claim that all people are utterly depraved that they are as wicked as they could be that's not the claim <clears throat> some people are like generally pretty nice yeah but it's that every part of the man is touched by this depravity so there is no part of the man until you are soaked in sin from birth mm -hmm. um an analogy i remember bill craig using is like in the same way that if you drop ink into a glass of water, it permeates the water. It fills the whole glass. It is it's total in that way. Mm. It's not utter. It's not black like ink, but it does fill the whole thing. So that's sort of how I think about the sin problem on Calvinism is something that is all-encompassing from birth without my say-so. Every part of me. Every part of me corrupted in that way. That's man's first state. You're not as wicked as you could be. No. But just uh, almost on a metaphysical level. Yeah. All parts of you are fallen. Um, you are unregenerate. Unable to please God or even do good. I've yeah. Some. Really? Cal yes. You're unable, unable to, to do, do any good. I mean, I think that is a mainstay in the Calvinist camp. Yeah. Because, and maybe this is wrapped up in total depravity, big piece of of. Calvinism is this idea that before God initiates with fallen man some kind of a transformation, that man is spiritually dead and unregenerate is the word that they use. His heart is unregenerate and, um, and spiritually dead people can't do anything. So you are sort of laying there, uh, this is all metaphorical, but right. you know, spiritually dead waiting for a rescuer but you yourself are completely powerless 
to change your situation mm-hmm. um, or to even want to. That's another big piece of it is like the desire for God is already God calling you to him. It's nothing you did. So to even want good, to even want our relationship with God is a sign that he is already calling you that way. Right. right? So, mm-hmm. and we'll get to how that works, but your situation is very hopeless from the beginning. Right. Yeah. And then that's the you, a tea. That's T. The you unconditional election, unconditional election. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And, to be fair, like this whole discussion quickly gets into like a lot of different jargon and lingo. But the idea of election is that God chooses uh, who is going to be saved. Mm-hmm. Basically, and we see that language <clears throat> of election in the New Testament. And it would be argued there's glimpses of it in the old as well. Mm-hmm. And the basic thought here is the unconditional piece because the Arminianisms would... are. The Arminians would probably argue for something like conditional election. Mm-hmm. That so, like, why did God choose who He chose to save? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I should should say what we're choosing. It's choosing to be, yeah, saved to- with God forever in eternity. Yep. Um, and Calvinists would quibble on how to describe the other end of this, but choosing not to save others, the reprobate, those yep. stuck in this totally depraved situation. Yep. And so the claim for the unconditional election piece is that uh, without any, uh, without utilizing any foreknowledge of what the person is like or what they did or what choices they'll make, uh, by God's just good pleasure and divine decree, chooses to save some mm-hmm. and chooses not to save others. Or chooses to damn others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and I think this is, because that's not quibbling, the point that <clears throat> Calvinists would make, or at least that I I made many years, was that God would get just as much glory out of the righteous punishing of a wicked person as he does the gracious redemption of another wicked person, I guess. So, but to your point... For it to be unconditional means it's not ba- it's not merit based at all. This this mm-hmm. salvation is um, God's not playing favorites. It, it, it's nothing about what you did, or maybe actually maybe that's not maybe he is playing favorites, but it's not based on what you did. It's entirely unconditional. Um, could you say it's random to be truly without conditions, or it's just the whim of God? Really, I think it's more that yeah, just by his good, they call it by his, his good pleasure. His good pleasure. Yep. It would whatever it pleases him to do, he will do. Yeah, so sometimes that's called uh, double predestination. It's another word that gets thrown around in the discussion of election: predetermined, predestined, elect. Uh, so single predestination is just phrasing it as God chooses to save whom He will, and the other ones, uh, by their own fault, are lost in their depravity, mm-hmm. and He just chooses not. To rescue them. Almost like trolley problem. He doesn't intervene to save those, mm. but he does save these ones. But those, they're all going to die. Glad I saved some, right? Yeah. Right. Whereas the double predestination view would say, no, like you're, you're making the choice for both, particularly since it's unconditional. You really could have saved everybody. <laughs> it could be Roger instead of Paul. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Paul. So now, like, if we're just, if I could just jump in with some, um, What's the word? Critiques. 
yeah, concerns, yeah. hesitations. I mean, this is kind of like the flashpoint part of the system. I mean, there's other ones coming up that I struggle with. But yeah, I don't know what the big flashpoint is for me. What we're seeing here, that like, why, so why would someone cling to this view? And partially, like, scriptural for sure. Mm-hmm. They're they're convinced that this is evidenced by scripture. But even like from a theological, philosophical level, it's a commitment to God's meticulous sovereignty or absolute total sovereignty in control, powerful, mm-hmm. is provident and guiding all things. <clears throat> in fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith um, says in the beginning, um, God foreordained whatsoever shall come to pass. Yeah. And so including the salvation of people or their or lack thereof. Yep. So you kind of if you are committed to this absolute sovereignty, you'd have to go with this kind of predestination view. Yeah. Which would seem like it's a denial of free will. Um I mean free will is you don't really get your free will on your Calvinism. Mm-hmm. You kind of pick one or the other. Taken to its extreme, I always wondered about like this like hyper-Calvinism where why evangelize? If if God's just going to save whoever he's going to save, regardless of what any of us ever do, what's the incentive to go and share the good news at all? Mm-hmm. When it, it'll just <clears throat> can't make any difference. There's some kind of fatalism thing that's happening. Yeah. This is not, yeah, I can't make a difference really. It's unconditional. I mean, one of the main complaints <clears throat> from the Arminian camp, the and Roger Olson as the avatar for now, he's saying, uh, yeah, just exactly what you are. Mm. This denies the reality of free will. Um, and so it seems like it's making God out to be a moral monster that people are consigned to their eternal destination regardless of what they did. They're not at fault. Yeah, If you foreordain whatever comes to pass yeah. and you earn... <laughs> The wages of sin is death or eternal punishment in hell. Yeah. But everything that you did was ultimately caused by God. The causal chain, the responsibility backs up to God. So, yeah, the the, ch- the challenge for me was the, um, what, why bother creating someone if you know you're going to send them to hell later? Like, you better just to never bring them into being. Hmm. Um, Seems that way, yeah. And that, you know, if, and again, going back to the scripture thing, this was me trying to reconcile. He desires that all men be saved and that none would perish. Well, why make them then, man, and send them to hell, you know? Um, yeah, that that ultimately was the thing I couldn't get past. Mm-hmm. Um, but related to it was this L, um, which is in Tulip, limited atonement, mm-hmm. which is the idea that, and correct me if I'm wrong, does this imply a penal substitutionary view of what yes. took place on the cross? Right. Okay. So, so under this view, Jesus' death is paying the penalty for sin. Um, but crucially, in limited atonement, it's not paying for everybody's sin. It only pays for the sins of the elect, the elect that we just talked about. So those who God has predestined that mm-hmm. he's going to save, now, those R- are the ones. R.C. Sproul, who is a pretty famous... Calvinist of the past century who's since passed away. He said he would prefer it be called um, like particular atonement rather than mm-hmm. limited because mm-hmm. he wants to say, well, Christ's sacrifice was um, powerful enough. 
It could have saved everyone. But it was... Oh, that's even worse, dude. But it was efficacious only for the elect. It was only directed It was only applied to them. That's right. That's even worse, man. Listen, if you can save everyone, you have a moral imperative to save everyone. Otherwise, you're not perfectly good. And if you're not perfectly good, I'm not going to call you God. That's where I end up with it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. (laughs) But that's how I see it. Like, if... And, I, and the kickback, I can hear the kickback. The kickback really is, I think, that, no, 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 God, it really is good for God to punish sinners. It really is good for that to happen. Like when he throws a sinner into hell, whatever that ends up looking like, or who knows the specifics, God gets just as much glory from that as he does from the other. And that's where I just don't know if it comes down to like, well, then we just disagree about like mm-hmm. what's good and our ideas of what, a, what constitutes a good father. And... um and so maybe maybe that's where you just sort of butt heads and and disagree. Like, if if we take any kind of Anselmian uh, greatest conceivable being approach, or or even to your point, uh, or the Neptunian view of just a rescuer, I need one who's morally perfect, or is at least not subject to moral failing himself. And if if I think I would be a better father than the God described in Calvinism, then I'm not going to adopt that as my mm-hmm. God. I'm not going to give him that title. Right. And crucially, like at some point, we have to recognize that everything we've done so far is. Um, <clears throat> I'm not trying to challenge God, mm. or any, I'm trying to challenge an idea about God. Yeah. Yes. These Thank are. You. I'm so glad you just said these that. These are ideas. Yes. And the idea on on offer here is what matters most is preserving the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. So if we have to, in our th- theorizing, we may need to limit God's love in order to make sure that the sovereignty is maintained. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think it should be the exact opposite. What mm-hmm. I see in Jesus is less a concern for maximizing glory in the kenosis, mm-hmm. the divine emptying, mm-hmm. in an effort to maximize the love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And and again, we've covered this on other episodes, but it does bring to the table, that particular view is um, you are seeing justice a certain way there where justice is retributive. Mm -hmm. And again, I think, I think what we see in Jesus is that that's the exact wrong way to think about divine justice and that his justice doesn't stand in opposition to his love. It is a byproduct of his love. Um, So, well, so the, the L is probably the most um, up in the air, even for people who'd call themselves Calvinists. So you may have even heard. Sure. Some people call themselves four-point Calvinists. Yeah. And it's because they drop out the L. Drop out the L. This one's too much for them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, the reason it was, and this is also the one that people say Calvin was not teaching, John Calvin. Yeah. One reason it was added, supposedly, is that to not hold it is the universal atonement, let's say, leads to universalism. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if if... Christ's sacrifice is paying for the sins of everybody, then how would anyone, like on the, on the penal substitution view, how would anyone yeah. be in hell? And to your point, right. like some of the more like austere extreme guys are indeed saying that the justice of God uh, towards sin mm-hmm. is glorified in uh, people being in hell. Yeah. So we need that to take place. But if universal atonement it's happening. Everyone's sins are paid for. Then well, why would the, anyone be in hell? Where's the comeuppance? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 
Now on the <clears throat> Arminian view, where there's a separation, um, s s logical space is created between um, sin being paid for and it being applied. Yes. Through the free will of a person accepting the sacrifice. Yeah. Like there's some kind of uh, cognitive or volitional act on the part of the person that's required for a reception, a receptivity, a willingness to enter relationship in the same way that if I hand you a gift, you receive it, yes. you grab it. The argument from the Calvinist there is that uh, dead men don't hear voices. So like if you're spiritually dead, you can't hear the voice of God. You can't respond. You, you can't respond to God at all until he already resuscitates you and regenerates mm -hmm. you. Um, so that leads right into the next one, which is yeah. uh, in the, the eye and tulip oh, yeah. is irresistible <laughs> grace. And it's this idea that, um, so what's happening here in the story, you've used the term regeneration mm -hmm. multiple times. And that's this idea of the being born again, coming back to life. That which was dead is now alive. Yep. And the Calvinist model of this is that has to happen, regeneration, uh, before there's a confession of faith. Yeah. Uh, because the dead man can't hear the call of God, can't respond, uh, and can't do the good act yep. of placing faith in Jesus. So God, coercively, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. regenerates a person. And then once that happened, now you are a child of God, you are now receptive to the call of God and such it's so overwhelming yeah. it's irresistible that you do eventually make the confession of faith upon being regenerated yes the other view the Arminian view has has it flipped around yep uh, regeneration occurs once you've made a confession of faith yep yep but grace is resistible mm -hmm. uh, and we do it all the time you know and so here's yeah. another case where hmm both both sides of it. I mean, I'm clearly not a Calvinist. Maybe that's become apparent already. <laughs> but um, both sides of this are using these terms in a way that is just fairly strange to me now at this point. With grace and regeneration. Regeneration, particularly. Regeneration. Is, um, <clears throat> it's all just very metaphysical in a way that yeah, I no longer see the need to go there. Right. Like that my fundamentally my status as the type of thing that I am has changed and so does that does that have to do with um like how does that relate to total depravity and your understanding of man's condition upon entering the world uh cuz you do think that there there is a there is a situation that's common to all men that we find ourselves in and we need rescuing from maybe it's not total depravity but I don't know how's he thinking well just that? I guess the whole package of um Like, why am I unregenerate? On the traditional story, I'm unregenerate because of original sin. Yeah. I've inherited yeah. some sin and guilt by virtue of being a human being yeah. descended from this first guy, Adam, that sin and a curse was laid upon him in this fall of man from grace and or from an initial like status of blessing and shalom. And I just don't feel the need to interpret all that because it's yeah. you're you're pulling a theology about the cosmic status of what God is like from this 
story in Genesis one through three, yep. that is not intended to be what historically went down. It's not a piece. It's not a history text. Yeah. And so I don't feel the need to say that Adam gave rise to sin the entering sin the world. And yeah, yeah. It's more like <clears throat> I'm just kind of shooting from the hip. Yeah. But I guess like if I were to embrace like the timeline of modern science and evolution and we don't totally know what's going on with consciousness, but it's at some point the lights came on, we came online and in such a way that it resembles, you know, what modern humans are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have this ability to direct our consciousness in certain ways. And I am still, and we have a whole episode on free will and agency, yeah, yeah. but let's just assume that that's part of what it means to be conscious. Yep. <clears throat> I can direct my consciousness in a way that I'm, I really am in control of in significantly or morally significant ways. Yes, right. <clears throat> and that gives rise to uh, erring, uh, moral failure. Mm-hmm. The moment I become conscious and have agency, I can now squander it and do ill and evil in the world mm. rather than good. Mm-hmm. This is the human condition. Mm-hmm. That's that's the fundamental piece. Not that, total depravity, but maybe total freedom or something instead. <clears throat> and so it's just strange like, to even speak of total depravity because I do think that the the very uh, act of agent the the agential part of me is a participation in the, that's what the logos is mm-hmm. like as well that's mm-hmm. what God is like too has this agential feature so that that part of me I don't think is depraved yeah. at all how could you every part of you be depraved it is um, something about you is godlike. If you're to be made in his image, if we mean yeah. anything by that. Yeah. So I don't know, like I go back and forth, like maybe I maybe I do if it were cast in a certain way, maybe I would agree with total depravity. Mm-hmm. It just depends on like what order of analysis. The the a- I, agency itself is good. Mm-hmm. So and that's if I have that, then I am not fundamentally bad. Yeah. But if you're saying like, oh, but you use the agency for ill. Okay, fine. If that's what we're talking about, then sure. I guess I'm. Yeah, I guess I I'm. Um, how's my thinking on that changed? I. I do think that all people have the potential for real evil. Like back to some of you know um, Solzhenitsyn's stuff of the dividing line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Mm-hmm. Um, Great line. Yeah, great line. And and that even in the most evil of hearts, there's a corner of good, a little bridgehead of good that remains and vice versa. Um, I don't know that anybody is totally depraved. You know what I mean? I don't want to say that anybody is just a completely lost cause. Um, but again, is that what they're really saying though? Well, that there is it's no... It's more the metaphysical that, claim that every aspect of the human being... Is fallen. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, I'd be curious. So like the con- even the biology, I guess there was yeah. like the it's, conscience it's no is no longer an everlasting body. Mm-hmm. Maybe like I think they would have said that about again. It's like a hyper literal reading of this is all coming from a hyper literal reading of Genesis one through three, right. where like I think they're assuming that Adam and Eve prior to eating the apple or the immortal, what um, would have. Yeah, immortal would have lived forever. Yeah, and so the physical part of you is now um, depraved or fallen, 
after the fall. Mm-hmm. And then they say the noetic effects of the fall, meaning noose, mind, mm-hmm. the mental parts, your mental faculties are fallen. Depraved. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I I guess I'm on board. I do. Yeah. So I do. Con- a, a t- help me with this because I, I don't want to straw man. So help me with this. Are they saying there is nothing about <clears throat> the human that's good? Or they're not saying that. That's too strong. They're just saying that every faculty of the human is uh, corrupted, like like a blurry lens or like yeah, a... Yeah, and, and to the talos of it, like the point of saying it, is that you are unable to please God or glorify God or do good. Man, that's why I, that's that what right I resist. There. Yeah, geez. I don't think that. I do think the... Well, to use their language, I guess, the unregenerate the not born again, those who haven't made a decision to follow Jesus mm-hmm. can do moral good. Yeah. But that's not the claim being made. Boy, that's tough to swallow then. Yeah. Hmm. They would pull on phrases from, is it Paul? Paul's quoting the Old Testament somewhere that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Filthy rags, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, well then. So irresistible grace. I mean, all these... Um, it would be argued that these all hang together. They're yeah. interdependent to lose any one of them. Maybe L can be changed. There's mm-hmm. questions about that. But I need the irresistible grace part because again, it's not. I'm not doing anything for my salvation. Back to that absolute sovereignty. Yep. Another word you may have come across is monergism. Mm. Mono meaning one and ergo is work. So it's one person doing the work. Yep. And that's God. For yep. your salvation. And it's a free gift Whereas to you. synergism would be this. I mean, I find the more intuitive view of God's calling. I'm genuinely responding mm-hmm. from my own agency and we're working together mm-hmm. to produce salvation in me. Yeah. My renewing, my deliverance. Right. <clears throat> so the P, we should wrap, yeah, up, wrap it up. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, pers- uh, perseverance of the saints. Uh, others have wanted to call it preservation of the saints. Once saved, always saved. Yeah, basically. That once God has done this regenerating work in you, he's touched the spiritually dead man, brought him back to life. Mm. Uh, The grace is witnessed, found to be irresistible. And then that saint is kept by God as well. Yes. Um, Independent of anything that that saved person then chooses to do, Mm -hmm. they cannot leave the fold. They will, will, well, can or, or won't. They won't leave the fold. I don't. I guess there well, is no free I mean, will. It depends how you feel about free will. Yeah, certainly on a. I think a Calvinist who's being honest about the lack of free will on their view. Yeah. Yeah, they won't because God won't allow it to. Yeah. Uh, won't allow them to leave. Right. Yeah. And no one will snatch him from their hand from mm-hmm. from his hands. Um, Which again, that's another one where um, that's act. I think. The initial Arminian group, Jacob Arminius, was uh, undecided about P. He didn't have a huge problem with it. Well, the way that it plays out, I always found, is like, because the question becomes, oh, you mean they get saved and then no matter what they do, they're... So what if someone like had an experience where they got saved and then they went and lived like a reprobate and they spend the rest of their life not paying any attention to God? They've persevered, they're still a saint. And um, the answer normally as well, they should have no assurance that they have been saved because they, they shouldn't I mean, live like that. P at first seems like the most benign one. Yeah. Like theologically, 
I'm less perturbed by that one than the other ones. Yeah. But you're right. How it plays out, it's the, mo- it's the scariest one. Yeah. You have, because <laughs> what it means is then you have no assurance of your own salvation given that you are still failing morally. So you don't, you, don't, you, uh, you should uh, question whether you're indeed an elect. Yeah. And yeah. what can I do about it? Because be- I can't, well, I can't like change my status as elect or not elect. And because I genuinely go through the day feeling like I could walk away. Right. I have that sense of freedom an agency that I could throw in the towel on my theology and Christianity and relationship with God, forget all of it. I'll go do something else. Um, because I have that sense about me or I have that carry that sense. I also then felt like, well, then I mustn't be truly saved or I, it really feels like I could just walk away and nothing mm. would stop me. You know, now we have done a whole <laughs> podcast on whether you can really change your beliefs like that. But yeah. <laughs> you can go check that out for more. But that's yeah. a contested notion but if, if you but once truly saved always saved right you just won't know it till the end so that's that's it in a nutshell i mean uh most prominent figures that would call themselves calvinists subscribe to all of those john macarthur john piper um a lot of the uh christian rap scene mm-hmm. is heavily influenced like lecrae mm-hmm. and those guys now, to be, again, to be fair, I don't want to be, I know I have a tendency in this conversation to straw man, so I'm not trying to do that. But um, on the perseverance thing, there is, I can see how there is comfort in uh, it not being my persevering and remaining in the fold, being uh, independent of my moral perfection. Like I don't need to be morally perfect. God is the one who keeps me. And there's like some security in that of like, mm. thank goodness it's not up to me uh, because my track record is that I am consistently morally imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hev- it is heavy on grace. It's just very selective about where the grace goes and who gets it, like Calvinism as a whole. Yes. Those who get it really get it's It's all grace. It's nothing you did. It's mm-hmm. completely unconditional. It's just like, man, if it's grace and it's free, it should be free for everyone. That's how I feel. Right. It's just uh, like the ch- the chief complaint is that it makes um, <clears throat> it makes God out to be the author, author of, of sin, sin. Yeah. and evil. If he foreordains whatever comes to pass, um, and he's not like I get, you can just say like he's passing over, or just electing to not save the reprobate, the sinful. Yeah, but they're only reprobate because you yeah. force them to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and honest to God, like if you were, were to read um, the four count Horton, um, just says this is out of bounds for human curiosity. It's a mystery. Who's the potter to say to the clay, "Why have you made me thus?" Not only so, not only about wondering um, whether that is in fact good of God to do, but even um, wondering about because they would all still say that human beings have. Most of these guys would say human beings have free will and it's not God's fault that they have sinned. Like they, uh, they're they still, morally culpable. They're guilty. Yeah. Yeah. And so where Horton et al. say, well, that's the mystery. Revelation just has mystery in it. Olson would say that is unintelligible. <laughs> I don't know. You, you've said a contradiction. Yeah. And theology should be intelligible. There are things, so, and we've talked about this before, the difference between contradiction and mystery, mm-hmm. is, to me, not mysterious. Right. The difference between them. Yeah, yeah. 
So tr- the notion of Trinity yeah. is not contradictory. It's mysterious. Yeah. It's one being and three persons or locuses, loci of consciousness. Yeah. Uh, I'm used to only seeing one person or one being, one person of con- yeah. locus of consciousness. So it's mysterious to me to imagine three and one. Yeah. That's not a contradiction. Right. Um, I suppose maybe something like the virgin birth is not a contradiction that Mary could be both virgin and mother on some view where she's, you know, impregnated by the uh-huh. divine force in some way. Okay. That's not a contradictory. It's just mysterious and I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, I don't find this to be the case with the Calvinist picture. Did God foreordain everything or not? Or not. Yeah. Yes. A or not. Well, then a. it's not human beings don't have free will and aren't morally responsible and thus aren't deserving of hell. No, they are. They are culpable. Well, how do you get there? Can't have your cake and eat it. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, man. I, <clears throat> again, I... So that's Tulip. Yeah, yeah. that's Tulip. <clears throat> I remember being so... I remember thinking of the, having the thought of the doctrines as being beautiful. I remember having that thought mm-hmm. as I was deep in the Calvinism stuff and like. And you were in your late loved, teens, early twenties. Yeah, I was like a seventeen, eighteen, um, and yeah, I had a real love of doctrine. Now, how much of that was just I was building an identity as a teen, as like I know my theology, and that know. was around two thousand seven, <clears throat> two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you too. Well, or why are you, just, why um, you saying it like that? Like, oh yeah, we got a lot of Calvinists. Because yeah. like just the Christendom <laughs> at large and like Olson, he was a professional writing at the time. Yeah. And that seemed to be this year of uh, like a neo-Calvinist, neo-reformed movement. Well, yeah, guys that, like, that's when I was big into guys like Mark Driscoll over at Mars yep. Hill. And he's- Paul Washer. Huge, yeah, Paul Washer. Paul Washer's the guy, the sh- shocking youth message on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That's the one I credit my salvation to. Mm-hmm. That like that- that sermon really got my attention and sent me down a reformed rabbit hole where I was like listening yeah. to a bunch of Paul Washer, Mark Driscoll. He calls it the generation of young men that are young, restless, reformed. Yeah. And clinging to wanting to, um, they're disenchanted with late nineties uh, or two thousands, like evangelical churches just kind of feel good and mm-hmm. no one's ever changing. Mm-hmm. And so they're fed up with that, looking for something solid and mm-hmm. deep yep. and, uh, interesting, and here's this whole package mm-hmm. of views that are internally consistent, mm-hmm. and it's a hard message. It's a hard, it's a heavy load. So, yeah. So you feel even better about, um, like you have the grit, mm-hmm. you have the maturity mm-hmm. to embrace this hard news, yeah. and yeah, yeah. I felt all of that anyway. So I, and yet you've never met a Calvinist who doesn't think that they are elect, right? So isn't that just con- like and yeah. that's tongue in cheek, but. I'm kind of serious though. Yeah. Like that should be, that's a red flag for the view that, okay. So it just so happens that every single person. If it really is unconditional and random, about half of you at least shouldn't be. Right. Right. (laughs) Like for instance, um, I happen to be a strong proponent of the second amendment Mm. and the right to bear arms and that, but I don't own one. Right. I'm not a card carrying. I don't, I'm not a member of the NRA. Yeah. So, but that, that makes sense that, like that's that's then not a red flag for the view that you could hold these hold views the view. and not participate in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the fact that yeah, everyone, who's a Calvinist thinks they're elect. <laughs> Surely they're not on that view. Right, right. <laughs> that would be crazy coincidence. 
Jeez. Well, but were I, you were you? Did you have more to say about your story there? Oh, I feel like I've told this story before. I, That's okay. There's new listeners that will never see the back catalog. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. That, so, that, so like you saw the, the Paul Washer videos and the shocking. It was message. that. It was his message. He did a message on Matthew seven. You were saying, oh, that you were saying that it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Again, I don't know how much more I have to say on that. I just let me let me think what you're asking about. If I have anything else to add, why did I think those doctrines are beautiful? Was it just that that it had this it was like? That, it, there was something just very sort of romantic with the idea of and then, again i don't want to speak for all calvinists like yeah, yeah. The, uh, please if honestly if you're a calvinist and you've listened this far good for you because you probably would have got <laughs> triggered a lot a long time ago but um at least for me there was it was probably because i was young trying to build an identity and it was coming out of the like like uh, i'm gonna be someone who takes my faith seriously like you said that heavy call and and i'm i read uh I read commentaries in my free time and I listen to sermons and take notes and I know my Bible inside and out. And mm-hmm. um, when I listen to sermons, I'm waiting for them to say something I disagree with so I yeah. can write them off. Uh, that's the attitude I found in myself. It was like, I just kind of became a dick, just a theological dick. So um, eventually, actually it was Melissa that she didn't tell me that, but it was through my interactions with her. She was not, had never heard of Tulip, wasn't, versed in all of this and uh i realized like how much even in what i saw at the time as like spiritual naivete she doesn't know about tulip she doesn't know about all she had like a a joy and a love and a trust in god regardless and i was like man it's a lot better to have it and not know what to call it than to know what to call it and not have it Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know um so i just i was hugely convicted that there was a distinct lack of love in my heart. Like when I was in discussions with people, I was so much more interested in being right and convincing them that my way of thinking was right than I was about like loving them. Um, so there's just a mismatch between like the fruit and or the doctrine and the fruit that it produced in my life. And something's got to give. So would you say like, what, do you even think of yourself as either of these now? No. Like you're not a, you're not an Arminian either. I don't think so. Well, only in the sense that like my thoughts about what salvation is have changed a bit. I what I do really still I'm on board with is this idea that there's a relationship that we're invited to, that it takes participation on both sides. Mm, the so synergism. It, yeah. Thing. So in that sense, I guess I would be Arminian. Yeah. But yeah, the whole salvation discussion's just changed for me. Now that eternal right. conscious torment really isn't on the table. Yeah, and so like the Arminian view, I guess, would be they might you I, I think you could still hold it you'd probably have to tweak the depravity bit a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Devastating depravity. <laughs> and you could probably still hold the perseverance of the saints, but then the other three would be conditional election. So for those who are really, still really concerned, like I need to make scripture work, like Ephesians um Romans and predestination talk. Well, they would say, God looked down the corridor of time and saw that you would eventually make a confession of faith. And so he chose you to do that. Like mm-hmm. those whom he foreknew, he also predestined this idea of foreknow of like this deep acquaintance, love. Yes. And yep. They would go with unlimited atonement, mm-hmm. which is for everybody mm-hmm. or universal. Yep. Uh, and then resistible grace. 
Yeah, you have the freedom. You can reject to it. Reject the call of God. Yeah, yep. and you can go your own way. So I think I want to hang on to those. Um, yeah. So I don't know what that. I don't know what that makes me these mm-hmm. days. But even um, maybe I'll maybe conclude here. Just even <clears throat> the doctrine of salvation and how does it happen? When does it happen? Just as all of, yeah strikes me as a very um what's the word like at a particular time i changed my status from unsaved to saved yes and i just i just i don't think i hold to that anymore yeah right uh there was a time when uh, i'm i'm going through the ordination process at heartland mm. and part of it is writing out my spiritual story in like a long form and it's taking a while because i'm really trying to i haven't done this in a minute yep um, since 2012, uh, and just thinking through, instead of like, when did I get saved? I'm being I'm saved. I'm being saved. Yeah, I got saved. Yeah, of 25 different times. Yeah, yeah, and not in like the joking sense I've done before, like where I just prayed real quick in the back no, seat to right. make sure I wasn't going to hell. Right, right, right. I mean, like genuine, significant experiences, transformation. Yeah, that like unlocked this new step in my spiritual journey. Yeah. So like, if you want to, we can go back to. Uh, it was a month before my fifth birthday, and I responded to an altar call at a Billy Graham crusade in Cleveland yeah. in 1994. Yeah. If you want, sure. That's when I was. First my name was then written in that book. To Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But really, what I would say is yeah, it's when my cogn, like when I started my relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. in that little nascent four year old mind, yep. I said yes to something. Yes. And no to something else. I, I, I don't want to be rude to my parents. Or yeah, I, yeah. Want, I want Jesus some and base, hope. And, some base level movement towards the true good and beautiful. Yeah. But to say, like, to then say, like, and that's how I got saved is like. That's to cut the story very short. But oh, jeez. There's so much more going on. Yeah. I, I like that language, man, of being saved. I've described it as feeling like for me, my. Like I. <laughs> like I've had to meet Jesus several times or like, or to your point, your four-year-old mind creates a model of Jesus and what Mm -hmm. that might be like. And then inevitably that model needs to get done away with. And it's like, I meet this God afresh and I feel like my relationship with God has been one of meeting and re-meeting and re-meeting. And at the same time, sort of, no, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm better than that as well. Um, and it's not just, and and I don't think you're saying this, yeah. but it's not just my mental furniture about God has shifted over time. That's not at least what I'm saying. No, I'm even fine, I guess, using that term salvation in the holistic sense of delivered, healed, rescued. Yeah. And so there were a lot of different occasions where like there was a particular, I guess, sin problem in mm-hmm. my life that I found deliverance in Jesus from mm-hmm. like I I was a really arrogant person yeah. in my college years and I feel like there was a some a season of salvation from that yeah like yeah. as much as it's one of those in, impossible statements you know like but I'm <laughs> I'm finally I'm, really freaking humble right <laughs> I'm a more humble person than I was then. yeah um, yeah And there, I can think of a number of different aspects to my journey where I've experienced 
that kind of again synergistic salvation deliverance yep that's good man so just when the whole discussion is like well the reprobate and the elect and you're yeah. saved or not saved well i don't know which one i am now it's very in and out I'm saved from some stuff yeah i'm not saved from others right right you know yeah right right it's just we built we build so much and like we have to just question these assumptions how much are you reading into scripture like that's not there to begin with yeah yeah like you read saved and you bring to the table all this stuff of what that means and you don't you shouldn't do that yeah yeah that's doing it backwards or even this notion of being born again um i don't know is that something that just happens the one time i mean i feel like i've gone through oh, yeah rebirths right a number of times yeah yeah, yeah. Again, all I think in the direction, hopefully, toward Jesus. Yeah, but dude, that's good. I don't have much more to add. Okay, I like everything you just shared. <laughs> all right, well, um, these are these are pretty accessible. If you're interested in more, uh, they're gonna uh, talk about it much more eloquently than than I do, and they're they're pretty good about if you're interested in the history of it and like, well, did John Calvin think that? These are your yep. these are your guys. Um, so I, I encourage know. you to look into those. And uh, you want to give us the closing? Yeah, I'll give us the close. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, you can always reach out to us, join the conversation. I am, I am genuinely sorry if I straw-manned your position at any point today, you watching Calvinists. Mm. Um, I was just, I, I was imagining how triggered I would get watching myself when I was 18. So anyway, uh, we would love to hear from you if you can do it in a not triggered way. So join the conversation, leave a comment on this video, or you can write to us, open to truth at, no, that's not it, mailbag at opentotruth.com. Mm -hmm. um, or you can visit the website, any of that. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. And uh, yes. we'll see you next time. Stay curious. Mm -hmm.